Well, I've been awake, and uh, that's been a long time. I do want to uh, give a little report because, uh, you know, I know you, I've been in your prayers. You support me financially, so it's only appropriate that I tell you something about what's happened. Let me say this. I don't think this church realizes the great influence TCF has had uh, in churches around the nation. And Gordon and I both have a very special relationship with the New England churches. We both travel and teach there, and I'll never be what Gordon is, and he'll never be what I am. But each of us brings something to those uh, bodies that complement one another. Uh, Gordon's very practical teaching, and whatever you call mine, uh, you know, it's a... <laughs> It's just a joy to know that God has teamed Gordon and me up, and we're never, rarely there at the same time, but God uses a, our complementary gifts in that area, and that's a representation of you. I've had more than one person say to me, we can never properly evaluate the debt we owe to Tulsa Christian Fellowship. Isn't that beautiful? So I thank God that uh, he's allowed this church to have influence really across the nation in ways that you can't even quite describe. Tuesday night, the 15th of November, I had uh, completed a three-hour drive from Waterbury, Connecticut to Manchester, New Hampshire to spend the night in a uh, hotel, a Super 8 motel, planning the next morning to catch the plane and come home. Ate a quick dinner, returned to the motel room, and shortly thereafter got a phone call from Owen Carey. Jim, I just got a call from the hospital in Dartmouth. Sam has been in a traffic accident. The doctor said they're having trouble controlling the internal bleeding. I asked him, should I come? The doctor said, by all means, you better get up here. Owen and Esther were in Florida preparing to leave on a cruise that their children had given to them as an anniversary gift. Within 20 minutes, someone called me back. Jim, Sam didn't make it. And so I immediately sent out the, uh, on the chain, prayer chain that we have among the conclave churches to pray for Owen and Esther. And then I found myself in a situation I didn't know what to do because what was ahead? When was a funeral going to be? When would they make it back to New Hampshire? Not knowing what to do, uh, the next morning praying, God always speaks to me in the shower for some reason. I was uh, showering and I just sensed God say, call Wayne and Mary Taylor. And I did and said, can I come and stay with you? And I don't know how long. And of course the reply was, by all means. It's interesting. While I was there, Mary said, you know, Jim, Possession is 90% of the law. We have you. You can't go back to Tulsa. <laughs> and then I went to the airport and checked in my car because my insurance only covers a vehicle for 30 days and immediately rented another one. And it's interesting at the, when I was doing that, the man said, why are you doing this? I explained, you know, my friend's son had been killed in a car wreck last night. Oh, Sam Carey. He began to recite Sam Carey's stats in high school and college and professional basketball. Every place I went, 
in New Hampshire that whole week, everyone, the newspapers, television, private conversations in diners, that's all anyone was talking about was Sam Carey. And so we, we remained there for that week. The funeral service was uh, just right. Basketball players tall as trees spoke. Uh, one man, a large black brother, said, you know, Sam Carey was my teammate. He was my friend. He was my brother. And that spoke that so much the theme that this big man with a big heart Every place he went, he shared the love of Christ with his big arms and his big hugs. One player strongly brought Jesus Christ uh, into the service. It was beautiful to hear him speak. And then, of course, uh, others spoke and Owen spoke. I talked with Owen for a long time last night. Uh, he and Esther are doing very well. Esther, being the kind of woman she is, has to kind of joke. And she said, I always told Sam to wear his seatbelt in anger, you know. <laughs> but that's just uh, Esther. But a beautiful thing is happening, I think, in the heart of Owen and Esther. God is really adjusting their perspective on life. I think in coming years, we'll see a new dimension to this man's ministry through what they're going through. And they do express gratitude to you for your prayers. Some of you sent cards, but you have blessed them by the relationship that has been expressed between Tulsa Christian Fellowship and the Carey family. Now, I'd like to give you a very full report on what happened, but I really can't because some things are very sensitive, and if because of what we say from this pulpit now, is placed on the TCF website and goes to all the world. There are things I would like to say to you as a family, but I don't want the world to hear. So there's some very sensitive things that happened in people's lives and churches that I don't feel the liberty uh, to report given that situation. But one of the really wonderful things that happened was in Waterbury, Connecticut, a few years ago, Owen and I were involved in the merging of two churches in Waterbury, Oasis and Dayspring, and over the years I've seen various churches merge and rarely ever has it worked out. And so I remember at that time in that meeting, I tried to put forth every pothole in the road I could think of, erect every fence I could think of that they had to jump over, but it happened beautifully, and that's been one of the most beautiful mergers uh, and a beautiful church has come out of that. Gordon has ministered there often. And now it's called Riverbank Worship Center. Now, Riverbank Worship Center had opened its building on Sunday afternoons to a Hispanic church called Church for the Nations. And the man who had planted that church had been a flaming Pentecostal, and he came to see the error of some Pentecostal ways in Scripture and became a total cessationist and then had a radio program telling everybody how wrong Charismatics and Pentecostals were. And then he came to realize he had moved the pendulum clear over here and began to see really the balanced view of things on the Holy Spirit and Scripture and came back really to where we would be as a church. And so he had founded this church, and as he was leading it, a friend of his named Juan, who was an elder in 
uh, a Plymouth Brethren Church. Plymouth Brethren don't have pastors, they have elders. Gave him a copy of uh, Strzok's book on biblical eldership. And he said he read that and it ruined his life because no longer could he be a pastor. And then he read uh, the book that I had written. And so meeting in the church building with the uh, Riverbank Worship Center, which, which was led by a council of elders, those two churches began to grow closer and closer. And Brother Jose Nieves, that's the man's name, began meeting with the elders. They became bonded and bonded, and they sensed that the Lord was leading them to merge their two churches. And so Owen and I spent one day with them, and then I spent nine days with them, working through this process again, asking every hard question I could think of, building every fence I could that they had to jump over. And it just became very clear that this was the will of God. And so those two churches merged, and now it is Riverbank Worship Center has one service in English and one in Spanish. Now, they'd experimented with various things. They had one service totally in Spanish that the English speakers attended with translation, then a service with uh, all English with translators for the Hispanics. That was awkward. So they said, why don't we just go ahead and have two services and this group have its culture and this group have its culture and we're one in Christ and we work together and have a single eldership over us. And that's indeed what's happened. And so uh, I believe a time escapes me now. I think it was two Sundays ago. Uh, we ordained Brother Jose Nieves as an elder. We had a formal merging of those two congregations into one. The following Saturday, they had a women's retreat with 40 women, English speakers, Spanish speakers. And there's an interesting thing happened. There's a Brazilian congregation that also had started meeting in the church building. You know, they speak Portuguese. And so that women's retreat, there were English speakers, Spanish speakers, and Portuguese speakers, 40 women all bonded together as sisters in the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? And I hated to leave <laughs> because I wanted to spend a few weeks watching this thing work out. But of course, uh, that was not God's will. But please be in prayer, if you would, for uh, Riverbank Worship Center and this new path that they're walking, which I think will be a beautiful thing to display the kingdom of God. They're already planning ways they can do together. For instance, they now, they, they've had a ministry to the homeless in which, uh, you know, the different cultures merging in that. Uh, I said, why don't you go Christmas caroling? So they talked about that, going Christmas caroling and sing one carol in English and one in Spanish or maybe every other verse. Uh, beautiful things uh, are going to happen, I think, in that situation. What an honor to be able to be a part of, of that great, wonderful event. In trips like this, Gordon and Joel can both tell you that people have such great expectations, you know there's no way anyone could ever meet them. And so life is hour by hour prayer. Oh God, you know that there is nothing in this vessel that can achieve what you want to achieve. And you do all you can to remove yourself from the situation that you would be an unhindered vehicle through which the Holy Spirit can move. Wherever I stay, when I stay in a home, I always find out what time the people get out of bed and make certain I get out of bed an hour earlier so I can shower and shave and dress 
and go back to my room and not be in their way when they get up. Well, I always rise at five-ish anyway, and the tailors get up at six, the moshes in Connecticut at seven, so getting up at five was fine. Then I'd go back to my room and have two hours with God, a privilege I don't have here because I have early morning meetings every morning. So from 5 to 7, 5.15 to 7, every morning, praying, reading the Word, meditating, interceding for you, for the family, for the situations in which I was involved. And then as the day would go on, and I'd have a meeting with this individual, and this couple that was having marital problems, and elderships that were struggling, and elders that were having trouble getting along, and elderships of two churches that were having trouble in their relationship, all those kinds of things, praying, and when I would get a break, get alone again to pray. In New Hampshire, I would, in the afternoon, if I got a break, would take my clarinet and go down to Weir's Beach, where it was cold and nobody was there, and I would play my clarinet and songs nobody's ever heard before that will never hear again as I was just expressing my spirit to the Lord. Sometimes I would go to uh, Lake Winnipesaukee and Meredith in the evening about 4 o'clock because it was getting dark at 5. And as the sun was setting, just be in prayer was the color of the water changed and the trees were denuded of leaves reminding me of death and yet there were the evergreens that reminded me of the life in Christ praying, oh God, don't let me make a mistake because we're touching the bride of Christ. So really, I've had five weeks of prayer before the Lord. Friday, as I was trying to seek guidance from God as to what talk about today, it seemed, well, Jim... You've just been praying and praying and praying, so why don't you talk about prayer? (laughs) So we will. Ochinas suchi nanabasak. Yes, that's a tongue. (laughs) It's Russian. When Gordon and I traveled first in the Soviet Union and then in the former Soviet Union, and I know Joel has had the same experience, makes no difference what country you're in. On Sunday morning in the midst of service, for some reason I could never figure out, everybody knew exactly when. Suddenly everybody would stood up, and away they would go reciting the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Matthew 6, 9. This morning... That's what I feel God would have us talk about. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father was a concept that in prayer. That was a concept that was totally foreign to the Jews of, of Jesus' day. They, they would say God is our Father in the sense that he has produced us as a nation, but not in a familial relationship. We, it's not father and son relating, but as a nation. Indeed, God is our father because he produced us. In Jesus' day, the Jews did not relate directly to God. 
You recall that in the temple there was the Holy of Holies, this room where was the Ark of the Covenant until the fall of Jerusalem, and the cherubim and the Holy Shekinah that glowed between it, and between that and the rest of the temple was a veil, and no one could go into that room except the high priest, and he only twice a year. That's where the presence of God dwelt in Israel, and the Jew was not allowed even to enter the room. They related to God through the law. That's really all they had. Thy word have they hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Still, it's a good practice to memorize Scripture, but that's all they had, the law and ritual and animal sacrifices, some way trying to appease this distant being that knew every mistake that they had made and every time they had violated the law. All the Jew had was law and ritual and faith in that. One of the most significant things that happened at the resurrection, or rather the uh, crucifixion of Jesus, was when that veil was torn that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And notice Scripture says it was torn from top to bottom. No man tore it. God tore it, saying from now on, man has access. Our Father, (laughs) who art in heaven. And so when Jesus began to teach that in prayer, we could pray our Father in a relationship sense, the Jews were shocked. It's interesting that in John 5.18 we read that the Jews tried to kill Jesus because he said, God is my Father. And they said, you're making yourself equal to God. And they conspired to kill him. Now this morning, to understand the depth of the conflict that the Jews faced with Jesus over this issue, we must realize that Jesus spoke in Aramaic. Sometimes in the gospel records you see that Aramaic breaking through. For instance, the name that Jesus gave to Simon was Kephas, or as we would say, Cephas. Cephas is the Aramaic word for stone. And in our, when those who were writing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in Greek were translating the words of Jesus, they always translated his Aramaic into Greek. And the Greek for Cephas is Peter, which means stone. If we were really accurately, thoroughly, completely translating our New Testaments, we would not have the epistles of First and Second Peter. We'd have the epistles of First and Second Stone, because that became his name, Stone. That's what Peter Petros means. That's what Kephas means. But anyway, sometimes you see that Aramaic breaking forth into the the, the Greek translation. The word that Jesus consistently used in the Aramaic for a father was Abba, or Abba, as we would say in an English rendition. Abba is the name that was used in a family, a very respectful name for the patriarch of the family. Last uh, Thursday, we had Thanksgiving at my house, and what a blessing it is to have family together and see all the little kids running around doing their stuff, uh, mature men watching football, every now and then a deep conversation. Now, if we had been a family that spoke Aramaic, I would have been the Abba, 
the patriarch of the family that was there. It expressed the familial relationship. And so when Jesus said, we are to pray, Abba, Father, our Father, which expressed a relationship of a family, that shocked the Jews. How could you think of such a relationship with this divine being that you are treating him in the relationship that one has in a family? Now, over the years, I've heard some people go too far with this. And they've said, Abba means daddy. That's wrong. It does not have that sense in which the father is reduced to the place that you run and sit on his lap and hug him. It isn't that at all. That's daddy. But it is more, we might think perhaps the Italian papa, you know, if we want to think of a familiar word where there's a respect and yet the intimacy that is contained in that respect. And so when Jesus began to say to the Jews, pray to the Father like this, Abba, and then he went on with the prayer. They were shocked that anyone could suggest that such a relationship with God is possible. But that indeed is what Jesus was teaching them to say. As an aside, let me point out that that came through when Jesus was praying in the garden. Now, you have the record in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke of Jesus' prayer, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Only in Mark do you have Abba, Pater, Abba, Abba, Father. Why? Matthew reports it. Luke reports it. Mark reports it. Only Mark has Abba. Why? I've really given that a lot of thought the last couple of days. <laughs> Think about this. Matthew originally, according to the early church fathers, Matthew was written in Aramaic. And then not long after that, either Matthew or someone close to him rewrote the Gospel of Matthew in Greek. And since all Aramaic terms were translated into Greek, it would be natural that Abba not be in Matthew's rendition. Luke, who was a Greek physician, when he wrote his gospel, has no hint of anything Aramaic in it. The early church fathers tell us that Mark wrote his gospel at the dictation of Peter. So really, the gospel of Mark could be called the gospel of Peter. Only Peter, James, and John heard Jesus pray. You remember when they came to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus left the, the apostles here and took those three with them and then just a short distance away fell on his face and began to pray. So only Peter, James, and John heard Jesus actually pray. And Peter, as he was dictating to Mark, Recall that anguished cry of Jesus, Abba. And that's what Mark wrote. And then Mark translated it, Pater, Amon, so on. Paul, who also had as his heart language Aramaic, twice in his writings as he spoke of impassioned plea to God, wrote, Abba. And then translated it, Father. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But that 
was striking to the Jews. Aren't we thankful today that we can approach God not just as this distant, unapproachable being, but as Father? Now, I know some of you had horrible earthly fathers, and to think of God as Father may not be such a good thing for you. But how wonderful that you can have the relationship with the perfect Abba, the perfect Father. And you know one thing that is beautiful to me out of that, since all of us have this Father, we're family. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think about? It bothers me today when I find so many church leaders thinking of the church as an institution. We're a family. Praise be to God for the deep love, the bond that he has allowed us to have together. Every Sunday we get together in the family living room and we relate to our Abba and share that love for each other that God has put in our hearts for one another. Now, both John and Paul, in their writing, described believers as God's children, but they used different concepts to describe how that comes about. John, in a very oblique way, Peter, Peter doesn't say it exactly, but does so obliquely, writes of becoming a part of the family of God through a birth. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the Greek does not say born again. The Greek says born from above. Genethe uh, anathen, born from above. And that fits John chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And even though being born from above, you might say is born again, still the sense is it is a heavenly transaction that takes place. John 3.16, of course, reinforces that truth with a little different language. But whenever we with all of our heart believe that Jesus is the Son of God, when with all of our heart we believe that the cross is sufficient to remove total guilt and stain of sin from our lives, when we accept that with our total being and open our hearts to God, a divine transaction takes place. And that's when salvation begins. And when that happens, with reality, we can pray, Our Father. Paul used a totally different figure. He used the figure of adoption. Paul never speaks of a new birth but he speaks of adoption. He does speak of a new creation, but never a new birth. And that's because Paul was making a different point in his writings than John was making in his. Now, we have 
a significant number of people in our church who as infants were adopted. Some of you do not know your biological father. You were adopted as children and adopted as infants. I can't think of anything that should give you a greater sense of worth than to be adopted. You know, when you have a biological child, you have to take what you get. <laughs> you don't have any choice. But when a man and woman decide to adopt a child, here's all these kids out here in the world to be adopted, and you pick this one. You pick this one. What? sense of worth should come to an adopted child to know that my father and my mother didn't have to do this but they chose me isn't that something to think about <laughs> and Paul throughout his writings emphasized that choice God has made for every one of us in this room today Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now think about that. Think what Paul's saying. Before in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth by His divine omniscience and foreknowledge He looked down through the years and saw every face in this room and said I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. Wow. Wow. And then Paul goes on to write, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Romans 8.15 You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out Abba and then he translates Father Galatians 4, 5 and 6 so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons because you are sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying Abba and then he translates Father now that last verse contains an important truth. Notice we are not sons or children of God because He has sent His Holy Spirit into us, but He has sent His Holy Spirit into us because He has adopted us. His sovereign adoption and choice. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think about? And so He adopts us and He wants us to share this familial life and so He puts the Holy Spirit in us and we then experience that and we can cry out to Him, Father, which we never could with any true sense had He not put the life of His Son through the Holy Spirit within us.
Paul emphasized in his writings two purposes for the gift of the Holy Spirit. The first was so that we will really know we belong to God. He speaks of it as being the seal in Ephesians 1.13, Ephesians 4.30, and 2 Corinthians 1.22. When we are saved, God puts the Holy Spirit in us. That's the same thing as putting a stamp on us and say that, now I now own you, you've got my brand. And the second thing that Paul says is the reason for the gift of the Holy Spirit is so we can experience the reality of that familial relationship that we have with one another, the love the Holy Spirit has shed abroad in our hearts, Romans 5, and that familial relationship with God the Father. I cannot think of any greater blessing in all the universe than to have that relationship with God now. I don't have to wait till I die and get out of this body, but now. Now, sometimes when I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, I know that when I die and my spirit's relieved from the prison of this flesh and I can come into your presence, and as Paul said, then I will know even as I also am known. Why can't that be true now? You ever felt that way? I do. And yet I can still have that relationship with God the Father, even though I cannot know him as I will when my body leaves, or rather when my spirit leaves the presence of this body. But lest we forget the identity of the one whom we address as Father, Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven and hallowed be thy name. The word translated hallowed is hagiadzo, the Greek word for holy is hagios. So hagiazo means to, to treat something as holy, to treat it with reverence, to treat it with awe. Even though we're relating to Abba, we must never forget that our Abba also is the divine God of the universe. He's the one which, according to 1 Timothy 6.16, dwells in unapproachable light. What a thought. Jesus said, no man can see God and live. Psalm 111.9, he sent redemption to his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name, King James. Other versions would say holy and awesome is his name. Now, both the Hebrew word in the Old Testament in Psalm 11.9 and in the Septuagint version, the Greek version of the Old Testament, that word both in Hebrew and Greek means to be feared. Holy and reverent. Holy and awesome. Holy and to be feared is his name. You see, we're dealing with the divine God of the universe. Frankly, as an aside, let me say this. For some clergymen to decide to be called reverend 
to me, borders on sin. Because that name is God's name. It's a title used only once in Scripture and is applied only to God. Sometimes some folks jokingly address a letter to me, Reverend Jim Garrett. I frankly have trouble opening that letter. I want to throw it in the fire, lest I be guilty of assuming the name of God for myself. For that matter, who wants to have a title to be feared, Jim Garrett. (laughs) But that's an aside. (laughs) This morning, let's close by standing together and reciting this beautiful model prayer. Will you join me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Jim. We think you've been with Jesus these weeks, and thank you for sharing with us this morning about our Father. I'd like to briefly mention one more time the very timely announcements, Parents' Night Out, Ladies' Brunch, the all-church meal next Sunday. Do not bring anything except yourselves. And uh, again, this Wednesday, We'll be putting up the greenery. If you'd like to join us for that, please do. And especially also the Whittier event, 5.30 to 7 on Saturday. Lights on at Whittier Square. If you're able to help, especially with a teardown, that would be great. I'd also like to please contact Patty Eland if you're able to help with that. I'd also like to mention that the Persecuted Church Bulletin Board has been updated. Please uh, do look at that as well. Father, thank you for this very special day. Thank you for what we've learned from your word. Thank you for being with us now as we go to our homes. Help us to be a joy, a blessing, an encouragement to one another. And Father, thank you that we who were no people are now a part of the family of God and that we can call you Abba, Father. In Jesus' name we pray these things and we believe and we rejoice. Amen. Have a great day. Opportunity for a benevolence offering at the end of the service. Thank you.